What does innovation sound like? It sounds like the luxury of being in the moment with your customer, client, or patient. It sounds like having the right information right when you need it. It sounds like being at your best for your customers and your business. Thanks to Highland's intelligent content solutions that improve digital processes, innovators everywhere are able to do their thing better, whatever that thing is. Now, who doesn't like the sound of that? Highland. For innovators everywhere, visit highland.com. This is Blue Moon. It's the original fan-made Manchester City podcast. Coming up, we've got news and views from Cities Week. It's your club, and this is your show. Two more wins to continue the good start to the season for Manchester City, though they didn't have it all their own way this week as both West Ham and Red Star Belgrade posed different challenges. Both games saw City trailing at the break, but they turned each around with three goals in the second half. We'll look at all the talking points from those matches on today's Blue Moon podcast. Also on the show, we're going to take some time to remember the City career of one fan's favourite playmaker from 20 years ago. Stay tuned, Ali Benabia fans, and that's all come about because of one assist at the London Stadium at the weekend. More on that later. We'll also be previewing the upcoming games against Nottingham Forest and Newcastle. We'll get some thoughts on how Forest are doing at the beginning of this season from fan and journalist Daniel Storey. With all that to pack in, we'd better get going. I'm David Mooney. With me this week is City fan Adam Monk. Hello. And the Chief City Writer at the Manchester Evening News, Simon Bakowski. Hello. Hello, Simon. First appearance of the season. Glad to glad to have you back because we have uh, the, the stars have aligned. We've uh, we've been able to catch each other. <laughs> yes, yes. I'm very happy to be on after lots of misses. Although um, I seem to have been joined outside my house by just about every noise you could imagine. We've got oh, what car we horns, police sirens. Yeah. I feel like the brass band are two minutes away. So <laughs> apologies in advance. Yeah, I I have ordered a one man band to walk down your street <laughs> in, in about ten minutes. So um, yeah, if you if you hear if you hear a lot of percussion and some cymbals, that's what that is. Adam, you well. Oh, oh, sorry, can I just um, yeah get in a, another gripe? We've got like an ice cream man round ours who turns up sort of every night at like seven o'clock, seven p.m. Who wants an ice cream at seven? <laughs> That's quite I thought, late. That is I thought quite you were going to say now, the 10 a.m. one. So that's even worse. <laughs> I'd rather have it at 10 a.m. <laughs> what time is the optimum time for ice cream, Adam? Oh, uh, well, being 24 and having it fairly recent in the memory, uh, maybe 15 years ago, I'd say if it's if it's a day off, you're looking at midday to 2 p.m. if it's sunny. <laughs> but then sometimes, you know, you know, like when I used to walk back from school, 3.15, there was one parked up. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. So that was also a good time if you had any spare change. Yeah, there's an ice cream van that I walk past uh, going to the Etihad uh, for every home game. And it's like just down the road from Mary D's. And the thing that I always stress, like I, 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 for the Red Star game, he was absolutely lashing it down. And I was like, <laughs> mate, what, what business are you doing here? Like, who is who is coming up to your van now and going, yes, I'll have a, a 99, please. Yeah. Is, it, is it the one outside the main room, Chippy? Or am I imagining that? It's a bit further down. It's, like, it's near the yeah. Tesco, yeah. Yeah, yeah, I know the one. I know yeah. that. I've never, I've never purchased from it, but... Uh... No, because yeah. it's always raining when you walk past it. So yeah. it's like, who the who the hell's getting the ice cream at that time? Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, enough enough uh, sweet talk. We will uh, we'll talk about the football oh. um, for the 2023-24 season. The Blue Moon Podcast is sponsored by Green King Sport, where football is more than a game. Green King Sports venues are showing every televised Manchester City fixture over the 23-24 season. So instead of turning to the internet for a dodgy stream, get your mates together and get down your local Green King pub and get closer to the action. Green King Sports have just recently 
recently launched the Green King Sports Instagram page too, and that'll become a home to fan content, deals and competitions throughout the season. Drop them a follow and you won't just be the first to know about all of this. You'll be helping out the Blue Moon podcast as well. Um, Simon, let's start with uh, the performances against West Ham and uh, Red Star Belgrade because there's there's something about this week, and I can't really put my finger on what it is. That's starting to suggest that City are City are different this season. They feel like they feel a little bit more kind of open, a bit more dynamic. Yeah, um, I mean, it feels like so sort of half time at West Ham, and and they're losing, having played very well. But you kind of. I, I can't get my head around this season how small the squad is. And sort of, you know, when they're losing against Sevilla, you're sort of thinking, yeah, you can understand that. And then they concede against Sheffield United and equalise late on, and you're like, well, that's coming home to roost. And then you think the same against West Ham. And then... Um, they just win. <laughs> they, they just win, yeah. It, it's kind of, I've not had that feeling since, like, the Centurion season, really. Um, but, yeah, I mean, West Ham, you had sort of Jeremy Doku coming alive, um, having been sort of... Very, very nervous on his first game. Uh, you've got this kind of Alvarez and Foden new thing in the middle um, in the absence of, of De Bruyne and, and Gundogan. And, you, you know, when you've even kind of got Sergio Gomez playing at, at left back against Red Star and, and not looking terrible. Um, it, it's a very different Manchester City this season. Yeah, Adam, the, uh, the performances, they... Red Star less so, but certainly at West Ham, it felt like City had a lot more threat than you would expect from them in games like that. But at the same time, maybe they relinquished a little bit of the control of the game. Uh, I disagree. I was actually just thinking this in my head <laughs> as we were as you were talking because I think the reason people were saying "Oh, we sacrificed control" is because Doku was on the pitch, um, and that wasn't Jack Grealish who was all about ball retention. But at the end of the day, what people forget under Pep for six years now is we've probably been the best team in the world in terms of recovering the ball as soon as we lose it quickly. Mm. Um, and I think we still are. And I think that still showed. I just think, I think Red Star, the the the, po- the threat that was posed by them was how rubbish they are that complacency was able to creep in. Because other than the goal, like, <laughs> nothing happened. That was a um, hilarious goal to concede, yeah, though, wasn't it? Like, yeah. like we, we, we have battered this door and it's not fallen in yet. Oh, we're, we're one down. There we go. Yeah, exactly. But, it, you know, it was never in doubt, really, that game. Whereas for West Ham... They are one of the form teams in the league, so they always have that sucker punch in them. Um, but I think with Doku in the side, okay, maybe he lost the ball a little bit more than Grealish, but he does an awful lot more with it, in my opinion, on the left wing. And he, you know, he should have had two assists in the first half, um, on a maybe one when he pulled it back to Haaland, and then obviously he got the goal himself as well. So it's just an added element and a different way now that we can. Uh, you know, can utilise that space going forward. It makes us a bit more of a Swiss army knife going forward, having someone direct who can beat a man. Um, And yeah, I think what it is now is every game feels like a foregone conclusion before it started because we're coming off the back of a treble. And I think our confidence now is so cast iron and just like impermeable that we just, it's just very hard for us to drop points at the moment. Yeah. Can I disagree with your disagreement? And, Absolutely. Uh, yeah, because we're, we're, we're getting meta here now because uh, I thought in the second half um, at West Ham, City had a lot more control of the game than they did in the first. And at the same time, Doku was still on the pitch. So you can you can still do you can still I think you can still yeah. do it with Doku on the pitch. You look I at, no, I agree. 
I uh, agree with uh, that. Especially with how they got Foden into the uh, kind of wide drifting in instead of having Walker um, providing the width. I think I think they kind of they got a shape in the second half that just didn't let West Ham get out. But for a what a ten minute spell in the second uh, where Edison made a couple of good saves. Yeah, I agree. I think I was just referring more to the the fan narrative, particularly at halftime. I think you tweeted at halftime, actually, in that game. I don't, I'm, is, is, is everyone watching the same game? And I did like it because I agreed with you. Because we, I was worried where that was going then. Yeah, no, no. no we, yeah, You're we talking led. rubbish, David. <laughs> no, we did. A, we, I think we leathered him overall. It was just a bit of a sucker punch from him, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, Simon Guardiola was talking, um, I can't remember if it was after West Ham or after Red Star, but he, he was talking this week uh, about what one of the tactics being basically getting Alvarez and Foden closer to Haaland. Um, and I felt they did that a, a lot better in the second half at West Ham. They did it pretty much throughout the 90 minutes again against Red Star. Um, it's, it, is a, it is an interesting kind of new shape and new development given how they finished the end of last season. I guess it kind of comes without De Bruyne, doesn't it? Yes, and to, to disagree with your disagreement of Adam, <laughs> um, sort of... After Doku got his goal in the second half, I thought a lot of City's play went down the right with Bernardo, who's kind of much more similar to uh, to Grealish saying style, um, and that sort of helped in West Ham feeling like they they couldn't get out. But yeah, I, I suppose Foden and Alvarez in the middle kind of shows that um, you cannot replace Kevin De Bruyne with one person; you, you need two really at least, um, and it kind of helps that. You know, Rodri and they, they've got Kovacic and Nunes now and, dare we say, Phillips, who can sort of sit alongside Rodri and allow two players to be a bit further up in the middle. Dare we uh, say Phillips. <laughs> dare we say Phillips. We, I mean, we can say it. Yeah. Is he, he going to sit there, though? You Throw just me feels... in there as well. <laughs> yeah. Newcastle. Newcastle away. If Phillips doesn't start, then I don't <laughs> then know dare what we say it. Then, then I think he retires. Um, <laughs> yeah. But but yeah, um, it, it's quite interesting. Foden and Alvarez they seem to be sort of uh, it, it's a regular battle between do they occupy the same space or can they sort of interweave with each other? And um, I thought they were better against Red Star at sort of linking up together and playing playing very well. God, Foden in the middle. What's it all about, Sal? <laughs> Yeah. Um. I, 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 this week as well. Um. Like, I, I, we're gonna we're gonna talk a bit about Alvarez a bit later on. Um. But first, Adam, I wanted to kind of talk about Rodri and the and the, the deeper midfielders. Um. Because Rodri is obviously the eye catcher. His role has slightly changed this season. It feels like it's it, it doesn't feel like he's simply the holding midfielder to the point of. At the start of the season, when he played that that opening game against Burnley, and you know there were some people that had him in their fantasy league team, I was saying, why have you got the holding midfielder from City in your fantasy league team? He's not scoring, he's not getting assists. And then look at me here now, like week after week, he's popping up with the numbers. He's just like he's he's higher up, isn't he? He's the best midfielder in the world right now. I think it's pretty much irrefutable on form, but also I think. If, if you look back through his goal catalogue, I think City fans, particularly after Istanbul, have been sort of whipping up little compilations of the goals he scored. He is such an asset in terms of taking those long shots, those sort of, you know, those chances that aren't exactly guilt edged that like the team have sort of fashioned out after 40 passes. He can just sort of hit one um, and it'll end up in the net. And I know the Burnley one, it dropped to him from a set piece, but the Sheffield United finish was was incredible. And then that one against Red Star yesterday, it was reminiscent of Torre, really, wasn't it? Like, he just sort of shifted his body, moved to the other side and just side-footed it in. And, like, to have that ability 
to not only carry the ball, but to strike it from range. And then he gets those assists by, he used to get a lot to Mahrez where he'd clip it over to that right-hand side, sort of in behind, dink it over the bat, the bat line. He's just got everything in his locker. Um, and I think in terms of goal threats from midfield, okay, you look at De Bruyne, he can do it just because of how good he is. But then second in line behind that would be Rodri. He's low-key, uh, isn't he? He's low-key dangerous, yeah. Yeah, 100%. But I just think it's because we pin teams back so much that when he does get the space, he is he is really the one in that midfield who can just, just hit one. I think this season we'll be looking at at least 10 goals in all competitions. He's already on three. I don't see why not. Yeah, Simon. And did you see um, what he said to uh, TNT about uh, how he got that chance against Red Star? Uh, was this about um, Stefan Ortega telling him to shoot low? Yeah, just because. Oh, the keeper's not saving anything low. Just just pop it low and you'll score. Well, yeah, you can't punch when you're on when it goes on the ground, can you? <laughs> you can't punch when it's in the air either. <laughs> no, well, no. Um, yeah, but I mean that kind of shows Rodri's intelligence and ability to sort of take in instructions and then follow them because it does seem like he spends every game now taking like like he sets himself a target of five to ten shots a game um, <laughs> and it, it felt on uh tuesday night it was like oh god he he scored the the last goal for city in the champions league and he's desperate to score the next one but um but then he scores so you know fair play to him um yeah, it, yeah i agree with adam i think he's probably looking at double figures this season for for goals because he does seem to have added that threat and with city bringing in kind of extra cover in the midfield, it does allow him to um, to go forward. I, I don't know whether I feel like twice my age again. So sorry for another rant, but like <laughs> all all over Twitter, it seems I'm just seeing like people saying how much better Declan Rice is than Rodri. And I, I know you, you can't engage with this stuff, but I feel like I've clicked on one tweet and now it's all my timeline. Yeah, and you're either following the wrong people or you've engaged with the wrong thing at some point and now yeah, all of a sudden you yeah. can't help it, yeah. Yeah, I need to sort of start again. But um, <laughs> yeah, you're just like anyone who watches Rodri for even two games will just know, yeah, he's he's the best midfielder in the world at the minute. Yeah. What did you think of uh, Nunes, Simon? Because um, I think he's quite handy. He looked uh, His introduction was quite good this week. Yeah, I think he looks all right. Um he sort of again it's just really sad for Calvin Phillips isn't it because Kovacic came in and just like instantly looked better than him and Nunes has come in and kind of instantly been given the nod ahead of him and uh, you just kind of think yeah what if if you if you Calvin Phillips like how many more people do you wait to come in um but no he um he he dribbles quite well does Nunes and um sort of carries the ball the ball forward, which again, we're not used to seeing that much in this City team. So it'd be quite interesting. But I mean, you saw the way he kind of drew the runner for the the third goal at West Ham. He's kind of got that sort of rhythm of how the team play already. So it, it was a bit of a weird summer for City, wasn't it? With, um, you know, Bellingham a, a long time ago and then Rice and then Paqueta and Nunes. And often somebody's fourth choice isn't, isn't quite what they what they wanted it to be but you're sort of seeing that yes actually City's recruitment team are, are are very good and deserve what they're paid because they can very clearly pick a player that fits instantly into the system yeah and you only get the odd dud um from uh, from time <laughs> to time um Adam let's talk about Alvarez because um he at the start of the season there were questions about whether he could do more in the team um and now by what are we week 
six, week seven or something like that. Um, just played the first round of Champions League fixtures. You know, you've got um, goals and assists pretty much every week. You can't knock what he's what he's providing, can you? No, absolutely not. I think the absence of Gundogan this season's probably facilitated this new look Alvarez that we've seen. Because um, last season, really, obviously Gundo started most games and Alvarez only really came in when he was straight out rotating for Haaland or Haaland was injured. So he was leading the line. Um, but yeah, clearly Pep's seen something else in him. He's obviously a very, he's a lot of play with a lot of dynamism. Um, I'll, I'll admit, I didn't think he could be as creatively proficient as he has been. Like, you know, he got those assists against West Ham for Bernardo. Um, I think he might have already wrapped up three assists in the league this season. Might be wrong. Um, but yeah, and then obviously scoring the goals against Red Star as well. He's just, um, I guess it's natural in a way. He was a young player who's come through. He looked like he fit like a glove last season, but you always knew there was more to come. It's similar to when Gabriel Jesus joined early on at the club. Um, I do think Alvarez is better than he is all round. But um, yeah, listen, like how often have we said this with players under Pep? Like we've we've learned new things about them as seasons have gone on. And this is just the start for Alvarez. So I can see him playing this role a lot more now moving forward in the next few years. Um, it's been really, really impressed with him so far. Yeah. Simon, the the, the criticism, I, I criticism's the wrong word, but the, the concern, I guess, at the end of last season, um, was, look, you've got Erling Haaland, the man's a machine, you can't take him out of the team. Where does Alvarez fit in? And then Guardiola's just gone, okay, well, here's the answer, and this is this is what it is. Yeah, yeah, and Guardiola was pretty blunt about it. Um, I think last week he was asked, kind of, why has Alvarez started every game? And he said, well, De Bruyne is injured. So, so had De Bruyne not been injured, I Maybe don't not. think yeah. we'd have seen Alvarez as much. But, you know, what Pep said is he's taken his opportunity and... When De Bruyne does come back, he will perhaps come back to a, a system where Alvarez and Foden are both sort of made made those positions in the team their own, and um, everyone has to to adapt again. Yeah, I, I, I I'm you know with with Adam in uh, not seeing a lot of the Alvarez hype for a long time. Um, and it's difficult, isn't it, when you're playing in a position that's kind of not your own because we've not really seen him too much in the number nine role. Um, he sort of led the line against, say, Liverpool last season and looked really good. But, um, yeah, he has found this this new way to play. And I sort of now feel he's going the other way of, like, the, the fantasy leaguers are uh, massively excited in him because he, he gets goals and assists and he's always involved in goals and assists. And you sort of think, yeah, but he's not always involved in the game. He, he's just kind of there. But that is a skill in its own right and he's getting more involved in the game. And yeah, I just his fitness must be incredible because... He, did you know, he, he played 90 minutes after playing... Um, was it 90 minutes he played yeah, at West Ham in the end? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And he, um, you know, he, he barely had a rest last year when he sort of played for River Plate for six months and didn't have a summer and then went off to the World Cup and all the way. So, um, yeah, City have got someone who can just play and play and play and he, he's getting better and better. Just think when he's our age, Simon, he's going to struggle getting out of bed, isn't he? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> those, those joints are not going to work as easily as they used to. <laughs> um, Simon, Adam's already talked a little bit about uh, Doku and uh, and the wings. Um, the, the thing, that the criticism I, I had of him after the Fulham game of Doku was, uh, uh, obviously, you know, he's been thrown into the system. He's not really helped City control that, that first half. 
Um, when it comes to, to West Ham and when it comes to uh, Red Star, things seemed a lot more stable for him to be able to take a chance and to, to try things. And as a result, it felt like a lot more was coming off for him. Yeah, um, it's one of those things where, you know, as much as the team can operate without Guardiola, who was in Barcelona for the Fulham game, you know, maybe having Guardiola physically back and being able to sort of have those little chats with players really does make a big difference. Yeah, It's yeah. kind of Doku being told after the Fulham game and ahead of the West Ham game, like, just do not worry about anything. You be you and you take on your fullback anytime you want. Um, seemed like it really made made a big difference. And, you know, the, the really encouraging thing at, at West Ham, I thought, was um, like every dribble was pretty much successful and he didn't always take his man on but then it's like it's a sort of it's a correct decision in its own right if you don't take your man on when you don't think you should um so for you know a guy who's who's still very very young and new to the league it, it's it's very exciting on top of the fact that he's he's an exciting player anyway that will get people off the off the seat so it, it's you know we're just talking about Rodri being a, a quick learner like if Doku can be a quick learner then um Great. He will be a real, real asset to, to throw straight in, which you don't normally associate with kind of young players coming to City in the first year. Yeah, I'm just trying to work out um, what if what if the correct decision was to take on his man, but he made the decision not to take on his man. Is that still a correct decision? Oh no, well maybe not. <laughs> no, but I did enjoy. I, I enjoyed Moyes after the game saying uh, the right back did really well against him. It was just that one time he got caught out. When was that? That one time. It's like like pretty much every every fifteen minutes or so. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Um, Adam, it's his it's his unpredictability, isn't it? That I, I I guess fans like, and he's a style of winger that City just haven't had in the squad for for years. So I'm I'm wondering if if Guardiola is going to try and kind of try and temper him a little bit and and bring him more towards what we've been used to, or if it's a case of listen, you be you. We've got other players who can do other jobs, so you just go and be exciting and get fans off the feet. I'll be honest with you. I don't think he he's, he don't seem to me like a player who can be tempered just because of how raw he is, how fast he is. It looks almost like he's playing on two times speed, and the other players are normal. <laughs> like that's kind of what it's like when I'm watching it. Um, you know, whereas like okay, so obviously the talking point is going to be Grealish because that's the position that he's occupying at the moment in the team. As good as Grealish was at beating men in at Villa, and obviously he was branded as being a maverick and stuff, he always did it, carrying the ball from deep, sometimes from rather central positions. And it was in that COVID season, really, where there just seemed to be a little bit more space on the pitch by default that Grealish could attack into. But he's never been lightning quick. He's never really been all dribbling with the ball close to his feet. It's always been those sort of long strides, how he beats a man. I think he's very different to Doku by default. So I think now... Uh, with the midfield changes we've had, and we sort of alluded to it there with Nunes now, how for me, okay, discounting Phillips, but for me, like the midfield now generally looks like it's got a lot of good ball carriers in it, a lot of athletes who are who are rigid and can sort of keep the ball high at the pitch. Um, I think it's almost going to force Pep's hand to use Doku the way that he started off um, and to take that risk and lose the ball a bit more, but to gain a lot more from it. So... I personally, at the moment, I don't. I just just from watching him, I don't see how he can be tempered and reined in to become a ball retention robot like someone else is. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I, exciting, I just exciting times. Yeah, yeah. He's he's going to be the new sort of Sane in that team. I think once we've got someone like De Bruyne back in, who can sort of split the lines of defence and play those 
balls in behind. I just think it'll be beautiful to watch. I miss David Silver in that respect. Do you remember those passes to to Sane that always used to happen in those yeah. little interchanges on the left? We need something like that. But um, yeah, I think that he's just going to be the most exciting player this season. I really do. A new year full of surprises. But one thing is always predictable. Postage costs go up. Stamps.com gives you crazy discounts of up to 89% off USPS and UPS services. So when postage goes up, your business will barely notice the change. Stamps.com is like your own personal post office, wherever you are. You can even take orders on the go with the mobile app. No lines, no traffic, no waiting. Schedule package pickups, automatically find the cheapest and fastest shipping options, and seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. There's even a supply store where you can stock up on mailing supplies, labels, even printers. Stamps.com has been indispensable for over 1 million businesses just like yours. All you need is a computer or phone and printer. Take a chunk out of your mailing and shipping costs this year with Stamps.com. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage, and free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. Ad-free episodes are available on Patreon. Sign up at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. Simon, uh, let's talk about Edison because um, some very, very big saves uh, against West Ham, the one-on-one, the header. Uh, You asked uh, Guardiola about him this week. Uh, This is what he said. I have a lot of memories in this competition, how many times Edison had good save and when the opponents have a good saves. So... There are many, many things that, of course, Eddie was a, a key point, a really, really key point. And he um, he was important again at the weekend against West Ham. Yeah, Does definitely. it feel like his, his shot stopping has improved? Or has yeah, he's like, mature. It's, uh, it's getting, getting better. So we had a team that normally, in average, we didn't concede much. And I had the feeling when the opener arrived, he's there. So the first save against one, against one, against Antonio... The moment Antonio made the last touch a little bit longer, he was there. And especially the corner. With World Pros, always is a is incredible threat. And with Zuma, with uh, all the people, the tall, incredible, you know, headers. So make a, yeah, I would say that the moment was 1-1. And we make 60 or 70 shots in the first half against West Ham. is quite impressive. But these details make the difference. And and Ederson was, was there again. The Blue Moon Podcast. If City won't let you down on the pitch, let us let you down off it instead. Now, normally, when uh, questions are asked of Guardiola, like he he's very, very quick to disagree with what the premise of the question is. I find so <laughs> when you get, if I ask it, uh, well, not not just you, it's anybody. <laughs> but but I, I find if you get a question where he interrupts you saying, "Yeah, yeah, yeah," you know, I agree, then uh, you're really onto something because Edison has been he's been great this this uh, this week, hasn't he? Yes, yeah, and you know the the Champions League final was his his greatest hour, and it, it kind of got a bit forgotten because the the biggest story imminently was um you know the fact that city had won the first champions league and and then sort of as as time goes on and we we learn we 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 learn about a goalkeeping masterclass in the champions league final and and it's andrea nana apparently and you sort of like yeah the one of them kept the ball out the net though um, <laughs> and i keeps doing that this season as well <laughs> yeah and that's it and he you know it it, it I didn't really get the um, 
the level of criticism at Edison last season, but it, it was reaching kind of a bravo point where every shot went in. And it, it wasn't, you know, the it wasn't like he was at fault for any of the goals, but at the same time, it was like, it would be nice to have a goalkeeper who saved a shot. Um, but he has done that and improved and, you know, worked really hard. And, and I, I think what Guardiola says is really significant because in the same way that he sort of used to say, when we have a free kick against us, I just pray. And now he's got a team full of monsters at the back who who keep the ball out of the box at, at any opportunity. You know, saying that now he feels like Edison's there when the attackers go forward is is really, really significant. You feel like last season even, you know, Antonio goes through and you're just thinking goal and Zuma heads from that corner and you, again, you're thinking goal. So, so obviously I had in mind to do this piece about how... Um, how much he'd improved and how much he'd matured. And then he, he goes and Cruyff turns the ball 30 yards out of his own goal <laughs> against Red Star at 1-1. One, one. Uh, but, you know, he, he will never change that kind of ball-playing aspect. And that is still a really important part of his game. And he's still kind of probably the best in the world at that. But he's kind of um, Im- improved the defensive side of his, his game almost. Um, I was talking to... Uh, Fred Caldera, who covers, well, he, you know, shaves Edison's facial hair occasionally when he's not reporting. And, um, <laughs> and he was talking about how Edison's kind of more in favour with the national team at the minute because he has improved his uh, defensive side of his game. And th- there's always kind of that Allison versus Edison. And you'd always say, well, Edison's better attacking and Allison's better defensively. But if Edison's improved his defensive side, maybe he's kind of shading shading that at the minute, which again is a is a pretty good achievement. Yeah. Adam, the uh, the saves against West Ham, the Antonio one especially, was uh, showed real maturity because like it, it seems to be there are times now he knows when not to come steaming out, where it always used to be, uh, be aggressive, come out, you know, clean everything out, see what happens. Um, whereas now he kind of, he knows when to hang back and then pounce on a touch. Yeah, exactly. I think it did show a level of maturity. I think he read him like a book. But, you know, more so, like people have, I think in the past people are very disillusioned by what's what makes a good goalkeeper because people, I mean, maybe not for the last two years, but let's say over the last eight or nine, United fans and Premier League fans in particular have always been waxing lyrical over how good De Gea is. Now, okay, yeah, he was a fantastic shot stopper in his prime, but the problem with United has always been they face 47 shots a game. So, you know, he's going to have to be pretty good at shot stopping, otherwise they'd be relegated. So that's always been the situation with them, whereas... City, when Edison's been at his worst, all right, we've faced 10 shots a month, maybe. So, like, if he lets them in, by default, we're still going to always have a good defensive record. So, I'd never, I've never really become impatient with Edison just because of how good he's always been on the ball. But recently, I'd say, I'd say the turn of the year, really. So, halfway through last season, that's when I saw a change in him. And I don't know what brought it about. Um, I don't know whether that was Ortega challenging as as the number two and being very competent at his job, but it something just seems to have switched. And now, I mean, how old is he now? 30, 31? I don't know. But I, that, I just, surely, yeah, yeah. yeah I, don't think he's that old. I, I think we've honestly got another good six, seven years out of him at least now. But the Antonio one, you're right, it really did. It really was a sign of maturity because in the past with that, I always remember that Leon game in the Champions League behind closed doors where every goal we conceded was just him 
Spill sort it of, yeah. <laughs> yeah, or just like on the edge of his box from a one-on-one before the strikers even touched the ball, like ridiculous positioning. You don't really see it anymore. And that he- save from Zuma's header, it actually reminded me of one that Hart made. It wasn't maybe quite as good, but Swansea. reminded me of one. Yeah, 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 yeah. It did. That's the first thing I thought about. It was headed in the same place, uh, saved in similar manner. So yeah, look, if he becomes a, a bit of a cat as a shot stopper as well, then that's just another string to his bow. Because for me, he's always been pretty superb with the ball at his feet which makes us a team that we are at the end of the day yeah well the uh, the drag back that he did uh, against red star um <laughs> made me think that uh, on this week's show we should do this it's a quiz on edison's mad moments <laughs> there we go. Um, Simon, as the non-City fan, I'm going to let you get the choice. Would you like to go first or second? Uh, I will go second, please. Okay, Adam, you're into that. Six questions, no. one to six. Um, give us a number. What uh, what question would you like? Uh, we'll start with three. Question number three. Okay, where was Edison when he took an Instagram selfie drinking beer at 8.44am the morning after receiving his first Premier League winner's medal after a nil-nil draw with Huddersfield in 2018? Was he in an ice bath? No, he was in a swimming in a, pool. Oh, right. Oh. He was in. He was in a body of water. He was, was in a body of water, but, I, but like, there's there's a big difference between a swimming pool and an ice bath. See, right? I'd have thought he'd have been. Yeah, no, you're right. You're right. Yeah. All right. Okay, swing and a miss, Simon. Over to you. Uh, number two, please. Number two. Which Liverpool player was closing Edison down when he took <sighs> his time to clear the ball from his own goal line during the two-two draw at the Etihad in April 2022? Uh, I am going to say Mo Salah. Ooh. It wasn't. Diogo oh. Jota. It was Diogo Jota, yes. But uh, yeah, no points there. So nil-nil after the first round. Adam, over to you. Uh, what number did Simon say then? Uh, Sorry, we've Simon. had, we've had two and three gone. Two and three. All right, I'll go with one. Uh, number one. Uh, which of his own defenders did Edison leave needing hospital treatment after he raced <laughs> off his line to clear the ball against Arsenal in the first game back in Project Restart? Oh my God. I was at that game as well. <laughs> uh, was it... Eric Garcia. It was Eric Garcia. Yeah, because he had that head, but yeah, I remember. I just remember him having a bandage around his head, so it must have been him. Yeah, <laughs> the, um, the there's a wonderful report online that uh, describes this as a um, a forceful coming together. Um, but then, uh, like the, the the next bit was um, Edison walks away unharmed, uh, whereas Eric, <laughs> like, Eric Garcia was transported to hospital on a stretcher. <laughs> Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, one nil. Uh, Simon, over to you. Four, five, uh, and six to pick from. I'll go for six, please. Number six. Oh, you've got the uh, you've got the dud. Uh, which oh. item of clothing does Edison say he wears for every single match, only changing at the end of the season? Um, is it a goalkeeper shirt? Uh, no, it's oh, uh, well, he does. Well, he does, but he has a different one every time. You see. Oh, right. Where yeah, that is a dud. Underwear, yeah. isn't it? It is. He has his lucky boxer shorts. Yeah. He says at the end of the season, he thanks them for their service and he throws them away. <laughs> Good. Yeah. Adam, you can win it here. Four or five. What are you going for? Oh, go with four. Go with four. Okay. Which City player almost had his head blown off when Edison fired a confetti cannon over his shoulder from the top of the Trophy Parade bus last summer? Oh. Oh, it could be any of them. It could, I, I, I remember it, but I don't remember who it was. I'm going to go with... It'll have been hanging around the Portuguese lads. I'm going to go with Ruben Diaz. It wasn't Ruben Diaz. It was uh, it was Sergio Gomez. 
Ah, was it? Yeah, almost killed by a confetti cannon. <laughs> uh, Simon, that leaves you with question number five. Uh, chasing oh, the equaliser, you've got... Uh, who were the opposition when Edison raced out of his box to control a long ball over the top and playing midfield for a bit, exchanging three passes with Fernandinho and Ilkay Gundogan? Oh, oh, I should know this. Why have I forgotten so much? Um, I am going to say West Ham. Oh, close. It was another W. Wolves. Wolves. Yeah. <sighs> Wolves left uh, left Guardiola looking thoroughly unimpressed on the, uh, <laughs> the touchline. Yeah. So, uh, Adam, 1-0 uh, winner. Um, I, I, I've got a tiebreak as well. I, I've been writing tiebreaks for these recently and uh, and we've not been getting draws. So, uh, I'm going to say it. Anyway, um, I, either of you know what, uh, what dates was the phrase fucking hell Edison tweeted for the very first time? Uh, nearest, nearest wins. Is that by anyone or by you, David? Uh, by anyone. By anyone. It I'll is. It is things. after he joined City. Okay. Uh, <laughs> fucking hell, lad. Um, well, I'm going to get maybe. maybe well, it might have been Liverpool at home, so I don't know what date that was. But he went off injured that game, didn't he? So maybe someone was like said it as in they were concerned for him. Yeah, maybe. I'll it's go not, with that, but I can't that. remember the date. Okay, it's not. All right, let's just go. It has to be that first season. Oh, it'll be when he lost the ball to Salah at Anfield. Let's go with that. So okay. January 2018 or something. Simon, no, any, uh, any any uh, any thoughts? Uh, the 17th of August 2017. Uh, you're nearer. It was the 27th <laughs> of July 2017. <laughs> oh, wow. Pre-season. <laughs> yeah, he'd been at the club 57 days. It was the pre-season friendly with Real Madrid. I can't work out what he did. But... <laughs> <laughs> who was it who tweeted that? I can't. I, yeah, somebody called Alex, whoever it was. Oh. <laughs> uh, oh, set the tone. Oh. <laughs> this is the Blue Moon Podcast. But don't worry, it'll be over soon. Uh, let's finish the first part of the show with uh, a little bit more fun because um, Adam Pep Guardiola this week went uh, full Burt in the uh, Red Star pre- uh, pre-match press conference. Did you hear this? I did. How strong is Arsenal? Yes, they saw the game against Wilson Park. They are exceptional in Liverpool again. The mentality is continued there. <laughs> well, they don't start. They don't start in the. I think they expect like Chelsea, but always they are Man United. Always they are Chelsea. Sooner or later, they will take the rhythm. This is the Blue Moon Podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Blue Moon Podcast. Nice, nice little laugh there. Do you know how shit you have to be to not get a they are so good from Pep? <laughs> Do you know how bad you have to be? I know, like, like, <laughs> you, you could be like, like when he comes up against like Wickham in the in the League <laughs> Cup and stuff, he's saying, well, you know, Wickham, they're, they're so, so good at the set pieces. They're so, so good at this and that. And then like he's just asked if United are good and it's... <laughs> no. yeah. yeah, that's a real, that's a sign of the times, that is. Yeah. Well, we're going to take some time out of this week's Blue Moon podcast now to celebrate a player from an era gone by. Because of one very tenuous link to a goal scored at West Ham at the weekend, Dan Burke has been off on a trip down memory lane to look at the impact made by one Kevin Keegan signing. Was it just me, or did the Julian Alvarez assist for Bernardo Silva at West Ham remind you of someone? On his best form, Bernardo is a magician. You'll be hard-pushed to see a better pass all season than the one which released Foe for a third. His fifth in four matches. If only the team could be that consistent. 
That was the coverage from ITV's The Premiership in 2002. It was City's final goal in a 3-1 win, and to set up Mark Vivian Foe, Ali Benabia scooped the ball over the Aston Villa defence. Foe spoke to ITV after the game. I'm very happy for us to get uh, some points, but it will be better if we get more points than goals. So I'm happy to score now because I have lost too many in the start of the season. So now I'm enjoying playing now. I think I, I have to keep going. By this stage in his City career, Benabia had become a bit part player. He'd not started a Premier League game for more than two months, but was a regular impact sub for Kevin Keegan. The year before, though, he'd been one of the creative forces behind City's promotion. I remember Ali coming, he, he trained on the Friday, and he just, just looked like this little dumpy fella, just, you know, who's this fella? And he trained, and we thought, oh, we didn't do much to the date, when we played Birmingham, the early kickoff on Saturday, and I think we won 3-0, and he just like ran the game, and everyone was like, wow. That's goalkeeper Nicky Weaver telling the podcast about Bernabe's arrival. It was September 2001, and City hadn't really found their feet in Division 1 after being relegated the previous year. Kevin Keegan explained how he was feeling at the time, speaking on the club's end-of-season DVD. I think the worst day was driving back from West Bromwich when we got beat 4-0. I thought, I can't keep saying I'm going to give everyone a chance and keep looking at what we've got and give them a chance to prove themselves. I felt that on that day, a few of them showed me that they didn't really merit that chance anymore. He signed Bernabia the following week. Here's the Algerian explaining how it happened when he returned as a guest at City Square back in 2013. The story is I come training, Kevin Keegan tell me, yes, you can come to the, to the club, but I'm not sure that I play or not. And in the, in the Saturday morning, I, I take my flight, but uh, 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 I don't take, I come on the flight, they say, no, it's too late. I say, oh, why are you too late? And I came second flight, I arrived here at 11.15 a.m. And the game, it was at, I think, 1 a.m. No half time, just to put my shirt, go to the stand. And we win 3-0. And uh, standing ovation, 35,000 people. What is the, the best things to start uh, in a nice team with Manchester City? And I play, I think, f- four games in the three days. And uh, score goals, score many goals, play with... Sean Gota, Paolo Wanchop, enjoy, unbelievable. Bernabe did everything but score on his debut. His first goal was four days later in a 4-3 defeat at Coventry. And he kept finding the net as City beat Sheffield Wednesday and Walsall the following week. He remembers what the main road crowd was like. For me, it was a dream, like I said, to play in England. But uh, coming and playing in the second division, you know, for me, that the friends I play all in first division. And to see 35,000 people, I said, I'm sure I'm, I'm in the second division. I think no, he's wrong. The fans took to him immediately. Over the course of that first season in England, he formed an exciting partnership in the city midfield with Ile Berkovic, and the pair of them created buckets of chances for the likes of Sean Gota, Paolo Wanchop, and Darren Huckaby. Speaking to City TV, here's what Gota remembers about playing with Bernabia. When he came to the club, he, he, we didn't know much about him. And I remember on a Friday we played, in, you had a little five aside, and you're sort of observing to see what it's like. And we, we went and played a game and, and you could see a little bit, but it was about third game in. And I remember thinking, I'm making runs and then stopping and the ball's there. And then I said, you know what, Sean, just keep running. It was about the third, fourth game in. I kept running and the ball just landed there. And I just went, hallelujah. <laughs> Gota scored 32 times for City that season and Bernabe was a big part of the reason why. The unique thing about Ali was the ball could be on his left foot 
and he could deliver that ball with backspin or wherever it needed to be on the opposite side of the defender just in your stride to just shoot or take it around the keeper um he, he was he was just brilliant as a midfielder uh, he, i i can't you know speak highly about him he's, he's absolutely brilliant richard dunn was also in that city side and also spoke to city tv about the impact Bernabia had he's um someone that comes in he, he was just on a different level um the partnership that himself and berkovic struck up that year in the championship was amazing and they was. destroyed the whole the whole league and he would have loved to have him when he was 24 25 and and spend his time here the defender still sees Bernabia from time to time and says he's not changed in the slightest. I was with him, I spent a bit of time from from time to time and we were playing uh, beach tennis and he's still got it, he's 50 years really? old, yeah. he's still got it, yeah. <laughs> himself and his son and the two of them were brilliant. In that 2001-2002 season, City would go on to finish top of the Division 1 table, winning promotion with ease. They scored 108 goals and earned 99 points over the course of those 46 games and the free signing of Ali Benabi the previous September had been a huge turning point. He was a key part of one of the most entertaining City teams in the club's recent history. And even to this day, fans remember that era with great fondness. Hi, this is Gary Cook and you're listening to the Blue Moon Podcast. If you enjoy the show, please give it a rating and a review wherever you get your podcasts. That was Dan Burke remembering Ali Benabia's time at City. Dan joins me now. Um, Dan, given kind of everything that we've seen in the last few years, uh, last few years, but kind of last 10, 15 years or so at City, um, Benabia is still a player that stands out, isn't he? Certainly, yeah. He was um, he was the, the sort of light at the end of a bit of a tunnel for City fans, I think, or, or certainly one of them. You know, that 2001-2002 that promotion season that everyone remembers with, with great fondness, um, he was right at the centre of that. And, the kind of play that we'd not seen for, for quite a long time. All right, we had Georgie Kinkladze, um, but his time at City coincided with relegations and, you know, it just wasn't a very fun time. And, and it, it was only really that sort of 95, 96 Premier League season when we got relegated, when when Kinkladze shone the rest of the time, he, he sort of, um, you know, he, he got kicked, lumps kicked out of the lower leagues and all that kind of thing. Whereas Bernabia came in and nobody really knew who he was and he just sort of, took to English football like a duck to water. The fans took to him really quickly. He was really fun to watch, really influential player as well. And, you know, he, City fans don't forget that. And I think a lot of football fans don't forget that kind of thing. And even even now, all, all the brilliant players we've had over the years that, you know, we've spent a lot of money on and won a lot of trophies with, I think Bernabia is still just one of those sort of cult icons, really. Yeah, I, maybe this is heresy and maybe I'll get cancelled for, for saying this. Um, but Bernabia was the first player at City that got me excited when he got the ball. I am old enough to remember King Gladsey and I just don't really rem- remember him that uh, that fondly. I wonder if it's like the context of the team, you know, the fact that Bernabia was in a good yeah, City team. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, yeah. like I said, I think I think King Gladsey struggled in the lower leagues because he was marked a lot tighter more tightly than perhaps he had been in that first Premier League season. You know, the, the highlights of him in, in the lower leagues are sort of few and far between, whereas Bernabia absolutely ran the show in that Division 1 season that year. Did have better players around him. You know, I remember Ile Berkovic coming in that summer and that being a really good signing. You know, obviously Keegan came in and made some made some good signings that summer, Stuart Pearce as well. And that first game against Watford uh, at Main Road in the opening day of the season played some of the best football that I'd ever seen from a City team at that point. And it was a really exciting time. Obviously, the um, the results were a little bit up and down at the start of that season. Bernabia 
makes his debut four or five, six games into the season, I think it was. And then that was a real turning point. And, and that was, he was kind of the, the final piece of the puzzle, it felt like, really. So I think him and him and Berkovic uh, dovetailed beautifully together as well. And it was just a really exciting, attacking, creative City team with players up front who could, who could finish their chances as well. Yeah, you look back at some of the lineups from that from that season, and um, like I remember Keegan speaking on the on the end of season DVD about uh, the way that people had said, "Oh, you can't pack all these creative players into the into the team," and he would say, uh, "Why not?" and and um, like the answer that he was always told is, "Well, you just can't; it won't work." And then you look at some of the lineups that he was naming. You've got Benabia and Berkovic in the middle. You've got Seattle in there. You've got Wright Phillips in there, along with one chop um, Gota and, and Huckerby. He was like, "Where's the defense?" in here Kevin why, 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 what, what, how's, how's this going to work and it just it just works didn't it Defending was the last thing on Kevin Keegan's mind at all times <laughs> wasn't it basically you know he had that philosophy of if you score four goals we'll score five goals and, and that was the case a lot of the time in that, that season that's why we scored so many goals that year you know we got 99 points and uh, you know, we had a bit of a difficulty translating that to the Premier League. It was a big step up. You know, I think Bernabeu was a bit of a casualty of that step up as well. You know, we just didn't have, quite have the legs for the Premier League and it became apparent in that Premier League season that actually Bernabeu and Berkovic on the same pitch at the same time is actually quite dangerous. And and that was a bit of a... Uh, that, that sort of spelled the beginning of the end of, of Ayl Berkovic's time at City, I think, really. And and that was a, a bit of a conundrum that, that Keegan never really solved and probably cost him his job ultimately. Yeah. But that, you know, that first, that season in the Championship or Division 1 as it won then, was just, it was just fantastic swashbuckling football. And, uh, you know, everybody who watched that will always uh, appreciate it and how enjoyable it was, I think. Yeah. Why Why do you think Benabia stands out among those players, given, given, I mean, given the creativity among those players? Why, why did we all kind of focus on Benabia? I think it's like I said earlier, he was that kind of the missing piece of the puzzle, but I think he also had that flair that we'd not seen for a while. You know, I, th- I think players like him, he, he was he was kind of the last of that generation of kind of diminutive playmaker um, who, you know, didn't have a lot of, uh, I said last of the generation, sort of the, the, the last of one generation and then a generation that kind of started again when David Silva came to the Premier League a few years later. I think like we didn't see an awful lot of players like Bernabeu at that time, um, it was a, a more physical game. You know, the ball was heavier. The pitches were were heavier. You know, even the sort of kits that players wore were not as aerodynamic because they are. The, the sports science of, of the modern game hadn't fully kicked in at that point in the sort of turn of the millennium. So I think we didn't see an awful lot of, of those players in English football at the time. And it was it was a bit of a novelty. And and like I said, he was kind of the last of that that kind of generation of, of sort of diminutive slow playmakers that we that we saw for a little while um, and then the game became a lot more physical and, and sort of power and pace were a lot more valued so I think Bernabeu just had those standout moments as well you know that his debut against Birmingham was was incredible considering nobody knew who this guy was and that was another kind of novelty factor to it you know we didn't have the internet nowadays yeah. uh, in those days like nowadays if, if we sign a play like that you'd have you know, 10 YouTube compilations that you could refer to to see what he was like. There'd be all this intel about him that everybody would know who he was. All the kids would have been able to play for him, played with played with him on FIFA and all that kind of thing. Whereas, you know, literally, we saw this guy's name in the starting line and it was like, oh, who's that? 
Yeah. He played for I, PSG. I, I, but... I absolutely hate, you know, that uh, you go on YouTube now and you stick in Ali Benabia and there's very little in there about like what he was like as a player because it's just like, it, it just wasn't a thing to document what, what players were like. And, you know, you could be like, you, you only get the superstars of that era that, uh, that, that had their, their careers documented. And there's just, there's just very little about Benabia out there. Yeah. And like, it's, it's that signing. I mean, I, I love the fact that even Nicky Weaver had no idea who he is. It's like one of your teammates. It's like, who's this? fella that's just turned up he's like he's, he's, is he gonna play for us all right fine and you just don't get that now yeah but even even since then i i have never seen any footage of ali Benabia that, that he wasn't playing for city you know I've, I've seen nothing of his time at psg or the other french clubs that he played for obviously he went to qatar afterwards and you know that that's not the sort of thing that uh gets widely shared around qatari football in those days and, and even now so all i know about ali Benabia is, is what he did in a city shirt and you know it Basically, those two seasons, um, with heavy emphasis being on that promotion season, were what we saw from him. But what we saw from him was absolutely fantastic. You know, I, I remember being at Hillsborough for the uh, Sheffield uh, Wednesday away game. We won six two that season, and he was absolutely awesome. Just ran yeah. the show. You know, and he, he was he was the wrong side of thirty. And you kind of a lot of City fans have wondered over the years, oh, what if we'd got him sooner? You know, what what would what would have happened? And We'll never know, will we? Unfortunately, but it was just uh, we got him in that 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 period where he, he still had a lot to give that season, and it was just it was just fantastic. And you know, some of the the stuff that he was doing on the pitch. I remember a quote from Sean Goto. I think it was on on the end of season DVD where he sort of said, "Ali Benabia picks you out before you even know you're in space." Like you know, <laughs> he was that kind of player. He had that that vision, and and a lot of players in that league didn't have that, and he was uh, he was a real lethal weapon for us. Yeah, still one of the one of my favourite all time assists is one of his as well. You know, uh, away at Gillingham that Gillingham, that promotion yeah, yeah, year, yeah. where he like he somehow chips a back heel. I don't know how you do that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's I think it's again like I said earlier about the pitches and stuff like that. It was a bobbly pitch. You know, he was he was playing in those kind of conditions and just and just running the show and just being superb and doing stuff like that. You know, you know like we said that the the Alvarez assist at the weekend was very Bernabeu-esque. It was exactly that Aston Villa game that I was thinking of. Um, when I saw that goal at the weekend, and it, it was, he was just pulling stuff like that off all the time, and it was just, uh, it was just fun to watch. I think he's one of those players that the streets won't forget. Ali Benabia. You see stats pop up all the time about clubs and players, and you want to know that exact thing about City. There's an answer. Statcity.co.uk. Want to find out all of the players who played alongside club legends like David Silva, Sergio Aguero or Vincent Company? Or maybe you'd like to know which team found it hardest to score past Joe Hart. You can find out City's record in every competition, at every stadium and under every manager. Just go to statcity.co.uk and browse away. That's statcity.co.uk. Email the show through our website, bluemoonpodcast.com. That was Dan Burke chatting to me about Ali Benabia there. Um, Time now to have a look ahead to the games with Nottingham Forest and Newcastle. Um, Adam, I feel like we're we're banging on about this um, at the moment, given the size of the squad and the injuries that are are there. Um, Guardiola's hand's kind of forced for this one, isn't it? Yeah, uh, very much so. I mean, Grealish is back in training. Don't know if he'll be in contention to start, but otherwise you're looking at, I guess, a pretty similar side to West Ham. No? Uh, Doku back in, starting probably. 
Um, I don't know if Bernardo went off injured against Red Star because he obviously he got hauled off at like 42 minutes, didn't he? I don't know if there's been anything said about that. I don't know what's been said. That- he, he definitely pulled up. Um, so he, yeah, Pep said afterwards he was out for the next few games. Um, mm. Elsewhere within the club, there was a bit of surprise when it was suggested that he was injured. So we'll see. Right. Okay. So it's 50 50 on that one. But yeah. other than that, I think. Yeah, I think we'll be looking at pretty much the same team that played West Ham, which shouldn't be too much of a problem because that could have been 7-1 on another day if Haaland stepped up. So I think this weekend against Forest, we'll see a similar team to West Ham, but with a clinical Haaland, I think we'll see a big goal, a big margin. And then the real question is Newcastle because then obviously he has to rotate. He can make the easy ones like Ortega and stuff. But then it's like we said earlier, does, does Phillips get his moment? Does that happen? It could do, because I don't see how Rodri plays another 70 games this season. So, um, yeah, we shall see. Yeah. Simon, it reminds me of uh, that that uh, Bernardo story there. reminds me of that time. Do you remember when uh, in the Centurion season, De Bruyne got absolutely wellied at uh, Crystal Palace and went off on a stretcher and then started the next game like two days later? <laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Well, that... Um... Yeah, would be slightly different because Bernardo just kind of went off with a confused look on his face. Um, but yeah, it was very, very strong of Pep to come in and say, yep, he's out for the next few games. Haven't spoken to the medical team, but he's out. <laughs> he never does that either, does he? He normally says, I've not, I've not spoken to the doctors. Yeah, yeah. well, yeah. So maybe Pep knows something we don't. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it is, though, um, not about one game, is it? As, as Adam says, it's kind of, um, it, it, when, when you look at this week now and you know the rest of the weeks until the next international break, there's two games in, in each one of them. So it's about managing the schedule now, isn't it? Yes, it is. And, you know, uh, did we ever think the day would come when City might outgrow the Carabao Cup? I'm, I mean, I'm that's, sure. that's big talk, that is. I mean, it, it's, um, yeah, it was, a. I mean, Pep unprompted after the West Ham game basically said, yeah, we're going to play kids against uh, Newcastle, which doesn't mean it will be all kids. There will be, you know, you you would like to think you Phillipses and Gomez's and others, uh, maybe Nunes or someone else. Uh, at the same time, he is going to prioritise the the Premier League and the Champions League um, because it's they're just bigger competitions, and you know it, it's one of those things where whenever they've won the Carabao Cup, you know they have had uh, they've not had easy draws, but I can't remember them getting say a Champions League team away in the first round, um, which they've got with Newcastle. So it, it's a bit of a um, a tough draw for them. The other kind of interesting angle to Newcastle is that, you know, he says they're going to play some kids. Genuinely, like, no one knows who those kids are going to be because they've they've, sold them all. all. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's going to be a very interesting game, even if City aren't as strong as maybe they they will be for for other games. But like I said at the start, like, it is just about that momentum as well. And, you you know, if if they beat Forest, then it's another game when you're like, yeah, this team just keeps on winning and maybe that is enough to to carry them through against Newcastle. Yeah, I, I do feel, Adam, there is a... like We're not getting any sympathy for talking about City having a small squad and you know having problems with injuries because other teams have those problems as well and they haven't spent the money City have spent. And like it is an intentional thing for, for Guardiola to have a squad this small. It, it's by design. And you just kind of sometimes have to take your medicine, don't you? Like you go, OK, we have a small squad. Sometimes we just have these problems in the season. Yeah, 100%. And Simon's right. I think the Carabao Cup ones we have won particularly under Pep, we have had 
I don't know, it's weird because I do also remember us like getting Wick and Wanderers at home and stuff, and then he puts Mara's De Bruyne and we just decimate them. So like it has happened in the past where we've like Yeah, Bert and Albion. Like the further on we go, I think the more serious he takes it. But yeah, I remember his first season we got knocked out by United quite early on. This one, the only thing that I can see that's a positive going into the Newcastle one is that they may well also rotate as well because they're in the Champions League the same as we are. They need to pick up points in the league because they've had a slow start. So there might be incentive for Newcastle also to rotate, which I think is our only hope because if they go full strength, we're going out. So, um, yeah, look, it's the ends justify the means at the end of the day. We can't argue with it now because would you rather have a treble or, or a Carabao Cup that we've tried really hard to win earlier on in the season end of the day? So, yeah, um, it's just one of those things. But... Um, yeah, I guess it will be interesting with the kids because yeah. I can only really name Lewis and Bob who were nailed on to probably start that game from the academy. You also you also can't build the perfect team, and like you've got to give everybody else some semblance of a chance. Like you can't you can't just go okay, yeah, yeah. we'll have. And I wonder, like you hear that you hear the talk about oh well, you know, City just need a few more quality bodies in the team, and I just wonder if that then detracts from the group, Simon. If that if it means that like you kind of you don't get the performances out of some players because like you almost need that element of backs against the wall to to kind of keep the standard as high as it is in every single game. I don't know. Yeah, and and you're right that it is, you know, a deliberate choice. Um, You know, Pep was the one after Palmer scoring the important goal in the Super Cup who was like, well, don't know, mate, think he's off, think he wants to leave. (laughs) And and Pep's the one who wants a small squad. And it's kind of like, you know, they they did really well um, to win the treble, to have so few injuries if they hadn't had those injuries. You know, I was thinking the other day about um, the season before that when they went out in the semi to to Real Madrid, but Walker came back from injury and, and got injured again. Stones came back from injury and got injured again. Diaz was out. So it's like, well, if they hadn't had those injuries then, then they might have been able to to, to beat Real Madrid then. So um, it, it is an unfortunate stage um, of the season that um, they have a small squad and that small squad is even smaller because of injuries. I asked um, Juan Marlilo about it in a press conference and said, you know, have you got a, a big enough squad? And he, he sort of laughed and said, well, if no one gets injured, we've got more than enough. And it's like, yeah, yeah, you, you don't. But it, it might be fine for later in the season with, you only need maybe two players back and it's suddenly looking pretty, pretty strong again. Uh, and they are still winning. It, it's just, it, it looks difficult to sustain over, over four competitions yeah. right now. Adam, just focusing a little bit more on on Forest. Um, last season was uh, a bit of a breeze against them. Um, the, I mean, there were concerns about the the results at the City Ground, but not necessarily the performance. Uh, are you kind of expecting the same sort of thing this time? They're a better team now than they were last season. I think, particularly in the home fixture last year, they were just up in the Premier League. It was that one the first game of the season so I think now they've reinforced the team a lot more I think they've got that Sangare in midfield who's probably going to make them a lot more resolute um, and also Awani sort of really come into form in the last few months so with that said I think they are more of a threat than they ever have been against us however similar to what we just said earlier about us just seeming to win games West Ham have been flying and we brushed them aside so anything less than a win um, it'd be a disastrous result at home, I think. But um, yeah, I certainly think they pose more of a threat than they ever have. Gibbs White, of course, is a good player, but realistically, I don't know. I just, I just feel like early on in the season, Haaland at home, 
he's just too ruthless for us to, you know, to not, to but not, not been ruthless recently. Winning. That was he, that's he, the he, thing. He hasn't. But then we say this, but then like it's just bizarre at the moment. Like hat trick against Fulham, and then he can't hit a barn door the next week, and then the next week you just know that a hat trick's loading. So like it's yeah, it's 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 one of them. I just think we're going to have too much for them. But uh, having said that, listen, we've had games in the past, Brentford last season, stuff where out of nowhere we get smashed and grabbed. So who knows? But to be honest, I'm just very, very confident for it. I don't think I'd have any reason to not be. Yeah, Simon, just on the wastefulness, uh, I'm, I'm kind of intrigued of what Guardiola can do other than getting them all together and going, listen, lads, just shoot better. Yeah, I feel like this season Harlem might score 10 in a game. <laughs> I feel like he's kind of going that way. Like, you know, if you miss five against West Ham and then miss five against Red Star, then you Haaland just sort of banks those and makes up for it in, in the next 90 minutes. Um, yeah, he has he has been uh, particularly wasteful. Um, but because he scores so many goals, you, you're just like, what are you going to say? Haaland's struggling now because he'll make you look silly very, very quickly. So... Um, yeah, the, I think... the question is, do I take him out of my fantasy league team in favour of Julian Alvarez? Because I can only have one of them. Well, Never. the answer is have them both. That's the <laughs> that's the uh, correct solution. But a, a marker of this City team, I think, is are they creating chances? And if they are, then they're playing well. And if they're not, then they're not. So we've seen them create loads of chances against West Ham, loads of chances against Red Star. They're playing very well. They just need to um, put the ball in the net a bit more than the um, six they have against West Ham and Red Stars. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think I think they'll be all right. Yeah. Um, well, let's get a view from uh, the Nottingham Forest side of things. Last season, City had two contrasting results against them. Uh, performances were pretty good, though. I've been speaking to the journalist and Forest fan Daniel Story to find out more about what City can expect on Saturday. It's definitely a different club to this time last year. Um, it, over both summers, there was a huge amount of transfer activity, uh, less this summer than the previous, and I don't think it would have been possible to do more. Um, and there is definitely a sense that that the owners certainly, and, and I'm sure the manager and the players too, uh, have saw last season as, as stay up only, and now it's about moving forward and kind of consolidating as a Premier League club. And I think that will be very, very difficult. Um more difficult, I think, probably than the owner thinks. Uh, probably about as difficult as Steve Cooper thinks. Um, but they've started well. Um, the the draw against Burnley was a slip up, but having won at Stamford Bridge in the previous league game, everyone would have taken four points from those two games, and they've taken them. and And they beat Sheffield United at home, which was kind of must win. They should have beaten Manchester United, or at least taken something. They didn't play particularly well against Arsenal, but only lost by a single goal. So, yeah, there, there is a feasing, feeling of, of real positivity, which is built around the transfer activity they've done. I have slight, not reservations about that, but I have slight kind of um, sort of suspending my optimism for now on some of that. But, yeah, the club is believes it's in a good place. Yeah, it's. I mean, the transfer stuff is interesting because um, my maths might be wrong on this and I don't know exactly who are first-team players and who are not. Um, but I make it this summer, um, four loans in, 10 new first-team signings and 13 transfers out. Um, add, add to that kind of like 12 others loaned out and then the high turnover last season. It feels like it's a very, very huge turnover of players. Yeah, it is. And, and, and the, re- the only reason that... 
kind of us inside forest don't see it that way as much as outsiders is because we simply because we had so much more last summer it's still a huge turnover of players it's right you're right it's still seven players signed on deadline day and i think there is you know i said just now about suspending my optimism i'm very optimistic about forest but chelsea was almost easier in a way in that we'd signed the players but they couldn't be named in the squad the deadline day had ended the day before so steve cooper was picking with what he had it was a, a fairly small squad at that point um, in terms of his his first team numbers. And they got the result they wanted by a kind of back-to-the-wall football. What we saw against Burnley was a reflection of, of a manager who is feeling pressure from above to play more expansive football, to play front-foot football. And, and Forrest picked four attackers, and in areas it worked, and in other areas it didn't. Um, but it's a lot harder to pick through a squad where you've got those seven new players in it because they're competing for places. They don't really know anyone. The, the deadline day in Chelsea was immediately succeeded by a two-week international break in which most of the players went hither and thither. So, yes, it, it, it is going to take time to manage that. The, the positive spin on that, which is deserved, is that we were in this situation last year in a more extreme version of it. We started the season appallingly. We were bottom of the table after eight league game, eight games with, I think, three points or maybe four points. Uh, and Steve Cooper managed to turn that around. And he managed to turn that around even with an, another um, overly busy January, which hopefully we'll avoid this season. So, yeah, the faith in Cooper is to work it out, but it will take a little bit of time. And there is more pressure on him this season to get it right quicker. Yeah. Um, what have performances been like this season compared to last? Um, initially, I think it was more the same in that Forrest try and set up as this uh, kind of soak up pressure and hit on the counter with, with Morgan Gibbs-White, with... Uh, it was Brennan Johnson at last season at the start of this. It's now Anthony Elanga and and or Callum Hudson-Odoi. Uh, and they're very good at doing that. They prove themselves very effective at it. They, they did that against Manchester United. The problem is that the central defence has not been strong enough always to soak up that pressure, particularly when Forrest is sitting on a lead. And that was, that was the issue last season. It was the issue at Manchester United. Um, and... Yeah, and it, it wasn't the issue at Chelsea, which is great, but that's partly because of Chelsea's poor finishing. So we were more of the same. That will change. It has to change over the next few weeks. Uh, Steve Cooper is under pressure to play attacking players and Callum Hudson-Odoi looks a really good value by. Uh, Antelier Langer's got promise. I think we've got arguably the most, well, certainly most informed and arguably the best centre-forward now outside of the big six now Mitrovic and and is has gone and Tony isn't playing football. Tao Arani is an incredibly effective centre forward, so getting the best out of him is is good. Um and at times they're 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 fun to watch because the counter attacking football they play is is really quite promising and Morgan Gibbs White is a, a superstar talent who we have to make the most of. Is there is there a danger that um, the squad is going to be too big for um, this season? I mean, I, I know like teams are limited to to twenty five um, squad members and stuff like that. But I always I, I always think back to City in the nineties, and you know Joe Royal used to uh, tells a story about how he you know he'd, he'd turn up at the Platte Lane training ground and there'd be more players that he'd forgotten about because there'd been so many managers that had signed players previously to him. It then becomes a case of just trying to fit everybody in, and like, is, is Cooper facing that challenge this season? Uh, I think he will always face it to an extent. I think that the squad is certainly more manageable this season because of the sheer number of players we've we've shipped out on loan at at continued cost to the club. It should be said, you know, the loaner loaner clubs are not 
paying all the wages in every case, but they are out the door and that gives him a, a manageable squad. There's certainly competition for places. There's, there's basically at least two players for every position, which Cooper spoke about last season as wanting. Um, I think it will probably become fairly obvious fairly quickly as it did last season, the players who aren't gonna, the players who arrived with promise, who then didn't really pay out on that promise. And the two obvious examples I can think of are Emmanuel Dennis, who was signed as a kind of forward or left-sided forward and basically never really got going. Uh, And Remo Froehler, who played a lot of minutes, arrived as Atlanta's captain. And we had this kind of idea of him as being the, you know, the the passing midfielder we needed. And he just got a bit lost in the Premier League. And that looked very obvious very quickly. And Cooper reacted quite quickly to that. So, even though the squad was big last season, there was a very obvious core of Steve Cooper players. And I suspect we'll see the same, albeit a slight microcosm of that, we'll see the same as that this season. Yeah. Um, who are the players, if, if Forrest are going to get something from the Etihad this weekend, who are the players that'll do it? Who could hurt City? Uh, well, in terms of hurting City, I mean, Morgan Gibbs-White on the transition is great. You know, seeing the, the goals that City have conceded this season almost out of nothing. I'm thinking like the West Ham goal and the Red Star goal in particular. Like out of nothing goals, and it's going to be Forrest causing a turnover in midfield, uh, whether it's a Sangare winning the ball or Ryan Yates winning the ball, and then Gibbs White immediately transitioning to, to Aaron Eurolanga. That's how they scored their goal at, at Chelsea. It's how they scored the first goal against Manchester United. They'll look to do the same out of that. But if Forrest win, the best performing players will be the central defenders. Uh, and there's a decision to make there because he start, Cooper started Warrell and McKenna, his kind of championship stalwarts against Chelsea and it worked and they played brilliantly but they made repeated mistakes against Burnley on Monday night and Forrest were fortunate not to lose the game as a result of that. Uh, They've got players coming back fit. They've got Moussinia Carter who they signed last season who's really good. They've signed two new central defenders albeit very young. I don't think either of them will start. They've got Felipe trying to work his way back from fitness so it will be really interesting to see that defence. My suspicion is it will be a Worrell and Nia Carter back two, but he may go back to the back three that he's always liked as his kind of defensive platform given, you know, given City's myriad strengths in the final third. Yeah, it's uh, it's always a difficult question to ask this one, but I'm I'm wondering where Forrest are weakest. And I, I kind of say that in a in a sense of um look, we know City have, have got all sorts of attacking talent and they'll they'll attack in so many different ways. But is is there one particular thing that as a Forest fan going into this weekend you, you kind of look at it and go, I hope City haven't picked up on this? Uh yes, there is. I mean Forest this move to counter-attacking football from the start of last season onwards um, was successful, but Forrest are perennially since then and still struggle um, with those kind of first two passes, quick passes out of defence to keep control of the ball. Uh, if City, are, you know, City's press is at it, the worry is that centre-back finally gets the ball after a load of City pressure. We play a pass into midfield, someone gets robbed of the ball and then City start again and Forrest never really are able to shift at that momentum. That's basically what happened in the away game last year where Forrest got pumped and 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 to be honest City were incredibly dominant in in the game at the City ground I know that eventually we got a point but um yeah that's my worry not being able to stem the flow and then the talents we've spoken about Gibbs White, Awani etc just look a bit starved of the ball because we never quite get the ball to them. Yeah, I was going to mention the uh, the two games last season because it, it, it certainly it in terms of results they're two contrasting games. But I'm not in, I'm not kind of sure how much they are in terms of performance because it, it did feel a little bit more luck than judgment that Forrest got a point at the City Ground. Uh, what what lessons can be learned from last year? 
Well, well, to be honest, that that City game was a, a, a felt like a, it wasn't a turning point because Forest were doing okay by that point. They got out of the kind of January window madness and they were beginning to settle again. Um, but in terms of the resilience at staying in the game, um, that was kind of last season in Excelsis for Forest. You know, they 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 stayed up because they did very well at home, and they did very well at home because they stayed in games, and they and they did get lucky. You know, West Ham missed a penalty, Liverpool missed a host of chances, Haaland missed a a number of chances in that game um but they will look to do the same thing and 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 that really did set the blueprint um you know you look at forest's home form um and it, it, they lost i think they've lost what twice in yeah so twice since last september at home um and that man city game staying in the game and then making the most of the chance that came their way was was exactly the the right thing to do the away form is still a concern though and um, yeah, none more so was it shown than last season when City basically played at half pace for the first half and still scored goal after goal and Forrest just looked really lost. I know that came very early in the season and they're a different beast now, but the positivity that lasts now is based on the fact that in the away games we've played, Chelsea, Arsenal and Man United, three very hard away games, we haven't been played out of a game yet. There's obviously a danger that happens at City because it can happen against anyone. Yeah. Um, well, Daniel, we've got the charity bet coming up a bit later on in the show. Um, let's have your score prediction for that, if that's all right. What uh, what, what will you go for for that? Um, <laughs> I think I would say 3-0. Um, I think there's a chance after Europe, at least, that City sort of, we've seen them in season, kind of happy to play in this control mode where they, you know, they're not going to necessarily overexert themselves in pursuit of, emphatic victory when a comfortable one will do uh and i think after last weekend there's a danger for forest that erling Haaland is ready to make good on those kind of four or five missed chances against west ham this is the blue moon podcast listen to it drink it in that was daniel story talking me through how forest might approach the game on saturday um I, let's assume, Adam, that there's going to be a low block from uh, from Forrest. Uh, we've we've waxed lyrical about Doku in the in the first part of the show. Is is he going to be the man? Do you think that that City going to need to focus on if they're going to get through a, another low block this weekend? I think he's a good shout. Certainly, I mean they play a back five. Forrest have done for for quite a while now, so maybe it'll also be a different challenge for Doku in the sense that he might not have as much space to occupy on that touchline and getting behind. Uh, we shall see, but um. Look, against low blocks, if you want my honest opinion of who's going to break the deadlock against that, if we're struggling, it's going to be Rodri, like we touched on earlier. Yeah. You know, someone who can hit it from range when we've pegged them back and we got that space. Um, I just think it'll be a case of... It's always a case with City. Like, if we get an early goal in that game, the floodgates will open because their game plan will be out the window. The longer it goes on, the harder it'll become. It'll be just one of those classics, uh, as has always been the case when we play low blocks. But I think in this case, uh, yeah... Perhaps with Doku, I mean, I think it is with him. I, that is a good, it's a good point because against West Ham uh, and maybe against Red Star as well, although he didn't start, against West Ham particularly, he seemed to have an awful lot of space to attack on Kufal's side because they were giving it a go, West Ham. They weren't completely, especially in the first half, they weren't completely like two banks of five. Whereas I think Forrest will be so. It'll be interesting to see what his dribbling's like when he's probably got less space to operate in. He's got to be a bit more technical and close with the ball at his feet. Uh, can't just sort of like blitz it to the byline and dink it to the back post like he has been doing. Um, 
we might see a different side of Doku altogether, which will be interesting. Yeah. But um, overall, yeah, you want. I think I think we'll do the predictions later. But uh, I think Rodri will notch another one. Yeah, and Simon, we touched on Newcastle a little bit earlier on. Um, just in the in the general scheme of things, given as we say, you know, the, what youngsters might be available, the the number of games City are, are facing, and at the same time, they've got the Club World Cup this year already postponing um, at least one game, maybe two games. I'm not sure. Um, do you just do you think City will be that upset if if Newcastle go on and win this one? I don't think they will. Um, I think it will be. I mean, like Adam said, like who cares about the Carabao if you win the treble? Um, but they are trying to get bigger and better things. And I think a bit like the Community Shield, it'll just be on the performance. You know, it wasn't like... They they, they were disappointed to lose the Community Shield, but it wasn't like Arsenal battered them or there was anything concerning in that. You know, they sort of conceded a grubby equaliser in added time of injury time and, and then lost the penalty shootout. So... I think as long as the as long as the performance is there, you know, f- for me the the big thing at Newcastle is a does Calvin Phillips play, and b does he play to a level that is enough to suggest that he can contribute in more games? Because then it's like, oh, we're talking about all his injuries. Well, here's another player that Pep can actually count on. Um, what if he doesn't? So- what 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 if he isn't available then for the rest of the season because Pep doesn't see him at the level that he needs to be? <laughs> Then, you know, City have um, messed up by allowing him to, to stay at the club for the season because there's no reason he should be he should be there. There was interest in, in him in the summer and, you know, there, were, there was the conversation of, do you want to go out on loan? So, you know, if City did not think he was capable of being part of the squad, then they shouldn't have kept him. And they've had no problem with sort of getting rid of other people who could have been part of the squad. So... You know, it is on Phillips to show what he can do, but it's also on City to kind of show the 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 working behind their their logic. Because if you know, there's no point in being there if you're never going to play him. Mm. Yeah. Um, well, Adam, you mentioned the charity bet. It's time to uh, get those predictions on the board. Um, we won this week. Uh, the journalist Nabojša Markovic correctly predicted a three-one for City against Red Star Belgrade. Uh, that means we're on one hundred and seventy-five pounds for the season so far. Now we're collecting for the Man City fans food bank support group. They help Manchester Central Food Bank on weekend match days by giving up their time to collect donations ahead of kickoff. Go and see them this Saturday if you can. They'll be under the bridge by Asda between twelve thirty and two thirty ahead of the game. Um, two games to get through. We've already heard. Uh, Daniel's prediction that uh, it'll finish 3-0 to City on Saturday. Uh, that's 6-1 to one and £60 if he's right. Uh, Simon, what are you having for Forrest? I am having 3-1, I believe I said. Uh, you did. 3-1 to City is 10-1 uh, to one and 100 quid if you're right. Adam, over to you. I'll go with 5-1. Five, 5-1 one. Five, one is uh, a nice 25-1 to one and uh, 250 quid if you are right. Uh, and that so. brings us to, uh, go on, predict the unpredictable. Time for uh, for Newcastle away where we don't know what team either side is going to play uh, or what shape end either team is going to be in. So if any of us get this one correct, it's, it's going to be a miracle. Um, I'll kick us off. I've gone for a one-all draw and... Uh, a penalty shootout, uh, eleven to two, and fifty-five pounds if I'm right. Adam, what have you gone for? I've gone for one nil City, narrow one. What narrow one nil City is uh, fifteen to two and seventy-five pounds if you're right. Simon, which way are you going? Uh, I've gone two on Newcastle because I hate Manchester City. Yeah, well, I knew it already, but uh, <laughs> you, you know, you're the only. I think you're you and me are the only people I think that have ever won on the charity bet in its history where City have lost. <laughs> 
All oh, right, so I've backed against them before. Yeah, you've backed against Excellent. them before at Anfield, which is just like natural. Ah, right. So yeah, yeah. fine. That that one's uh, mine was at Chelsea at Stamford Bridge in uh, Guardiola's first season. I backed a, a two-one um, or a two-nil. I can't remember what it was, and it uh, and it came in. So uh, so yeah, it uh, it does happen. Uh, but two-one Newcastle is ten to one and a hundred pounds if you are right there. Uh, remember, you've got to be eighteen or over to gamble. Prices can change, and please gamble responsibly. If you'd like information on responsible gambling, then head on over to begambleaware.com. Org. And that brings us to an end for today's Blue Moon podcast. Thank you very much for listening, and thanks also to my guests for this one, Simon Bakowski. Thank you. And Adam Monk. Thank you very much. I'll be back next week, so I'll see you then. That was the Blue Moon podcast. Please give the show a rating and a review where you can. And don't forget, you can listen without the ads by signing up to our Patreon. You'll also get an extra episode each Monday. Here's a clip of this week's. Forget that it was like Burnley, which obviously now doesn't feel like a big game as such. But bringing the team that were top of the league to Main Road, I would have been nervous going into that game. And so just wiping the floor with them and really making a statement, I hold it in very strong affection because it would have been I wasn't used to us bringing the team that were top of the league to Main Road and destroying them. I guess I'd seen us do it to Fulham when Keegan was their manager and I think we beat them 3-0 under Joe Royal. But other than that, it just wasn't very often that we brought a relatively top team to us and and dismissed them like that. And I remember Keegan saying after the game, one of his quotes that sticks in my mind was, well, there's, there's two ways to have the biggest building in town. Either you knock the biggest one down or you build yours up. And today we've done both. And it's uh, it's always stayed with me as a, as a nice little after-match quote, that one. I like that. Not one of it. Keegan's remembered for saying stupid things, and that's not stupid. That's really nice. I like that. Sh- Sean Wright Phillips' heart is bigger than he is, which isn't very big, but it's bigger. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> That's my favourite one. Young was it um young Gareth Barry, he's young. <laughs> you can write a full book of Keegan quotes. Great yeah. man. You can listen to more of that at patreon.com forward slash blue moon podcast. And join us again next time for another episode. <laughs>